Somebody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now say it like you mean it. Praise the Lord. Such good praise this morning. It really is. Hope you came looking for something. It's called the experience. Because you're not going to experience a man, you're going to experience a God. His name is Jesus. It's not me, but he lives inside of me. That's why we call this church service the experience. What are you going to experience? I like that song. Are you just going to do the mundane? Are you just going to say, okay, I'll sing another song? Or are you going to remember? Sometimes you need to restart. Somebody say restart. restart. We do, don't we? We just need to restart. But sometimes, if you, ever, if you ever rode one of those old motorcycles and when it died, and sometimes, it, I don't know why they wouldn't start real good, but you'd put your foot back there, and you'd have to kick that thing, and sometimes your foot would slip off and almost break it. You understand? Hit your shin, do all kind of crazy stuff, but you'd stay with it until you finally restarted because you didn't want to push it nor leave it. Come on, somebody. That's what God's doing with you today. He doesn't want to push you. He doesn't want to leave you. He wants you to develop a restart so you can get going in the right direction. Well, today, before I get preaching, and I almost do it all the time, I'm supposed to pray for somebody, and I do want to. Trey, stand up. Trey is going to be gone the next couple of weeks, and then after that, he's going to college. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap. <laughs> I remember this boy in diapers. I mean, I do. I remember seeing him new, brand new. And here he is, 18. Are you 18? 18 years old. I keep trying to grow up, but I'm not going to reach his height. At 18, I was still this height. I was really skinny at 18. I don't know why I'm talking about that, but let's get going. We want to pray for him, not just to have a safe journey there, but we want to pray that, that uh, this year he takes the experience with him and that those that he comes in contact with truly do know that he's different because he serves a risen Savior. Amen. And, you know, we pray that for all our kids, but when they're sent off like this, now Trey gets the opportunity to find out whether he's going to develop his own faith. And I'm not a better, but if I was, I'm betting that he is. Stretch your hands toward Trey. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for protection there and back. We pray more importantly for this first semester to be one that he's guarded with grace and safety that he's injury-free on the football field, that he's a learner, that he's not trying to find out who he is on the football field, but his identity is found in Christ. He's not trying to ask someone, who am I, what am I? He knows in reality who he really is in Christ. He's a blood-bought child of the Most High God. He's born again. He loves you. He's going to serve you. And God, when push comes to shove and the enemy tries to come against him, may he stand and say, not today, devil. Not tomorrow, devil. My life has already got the, its days numbered, and there are long and many years, and I will be effective against the kingdom of darkness. Father, give him the ability to study the way he needs to study, follow after you in the midst of all of it, and trust you even in the trials and tribulations. When, when adversity hits, may he understand that's where God shows up the greatest. We love you, and we thank you for how you're going to manifest your greatness in Trey. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen. 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 See, it's so important. I can pray a prayer like that, but you know what it depends on now? Trey. It's kind of like when we dedicate a child. You can pray what you want to, but who's it depend on? The parents. Well, now he's old enough to be an adult. So now who's it depend on? Trey. In, in each one of us. that we're, When we get old enough to make decisions, 
When we get truly out of sight of our parents, that's when we find out who we really serve. Sometimes some of us get outside of our parents and act like a fool. And we don't understand that we think we're hiding or doing something that we're finally free to do, when in reality, you were free to do that all the time. But in Christ, the freedom is not to do that because it's not going to build the kingdom of God. It's not that you can't do that. The experience changes you if you truly have the experience. The experience is not with me. The experience is with Jesus. Today I want to talk about friendship. The title of this sermon is The Unrivaled Friend. The unrivaled. Now you already know who the unrivaled friend is, so let's not make this a mystery. You already know that you can cuss Jesus. You can act like you don't know him. You can get into every situation you can think of and act a fool and come back to him. And He's already forgiven you. He still loves you. He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. All those things. So let's, let's just don't mince any words about who the great friend is. The great friend is Jesus. Now that doesn't give you the right to be an ignorant fool running around this community. That doesn't give you the right to sin and go, ha ha, I'm forgiven. There'll always be consequences. Somebody say consequences. Is it not true? There is. There'll always be consequences. But you have an unrivaled friend. And friends are really a difficult thing to deal with. As I was doing this, and I'm not even starting to read yet, but I just want you to know that I don't know if there's any more difficult thing on the planet to acquire than friends. I know I have a friend in Jesus, you know, and I'll say that lightly because without him, in all of my adversity and all of the ignorance that I pull and the things that I do, if I truly wasn't solid in that, my God, somebody said, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Am I the only one? You forget where you came from? Even if you were like my wife, goody, goody. That don't, your goody, goody going to get you in a goody, goody bunch of trouble. Right. Amen? Amen? Even if you're like that, it doesn't matter. Good without God is still hell. Come on, somebody. Right. You figured that out yet? Good without God equals hell. That's all it is. So get this. I just know that this is a most difficult subject to even approach. It really is. It's difficult to even talk about friends because I'm going to say some things that, that I fall short in, that you fall short in, and hopefully God will show us an unrivaled friend. Now, I'm not going to be talking about Jesus, but I am because Jesus always works through every truth in the Bible. Somebody say amen. amen. Friendship in the world today is a rare commodity. I'm not talking about acquaintances. Today I'm going to be talking about true friendship. True friendship. It seems that most relationships are patronizing or flattery driven. Isn't that true? Let me say, you know what patronizing means? Let me tell you what you want to hear so you'll feel good about me and you both and you'll like me more. When really I don't give a rip what happens to you. That's patronizing. And then if you want to flatter somebody, it's tell them what they look like when you know that ain't what they look like. Not in your eyes. You look really good today, and you're thinking, my God, where'd they get that? It's the truth. That's flattery. Boy, you're looking sharp today. You're thinking, amen, to the men of the same goodwill shop I did. Now, you wouldn't say that, but that's the truth. Come on, somebody. Ain't nothing wrong with goodwill. I go there. If I find a good Western shirt, hey, that thing may be brand new with the tags on. May not tell you. Though. I might, because I like to tell you. I like to tell you things like that. Some of y'all don't go to those places because you above that kind of friendship. In other words, deception is used to use you. 
when you're using flattery, patronizing, deception is used to use you. I was watching this show on Netflix, and the one thing I really noticed was their friendship was based on what they did for each other. And in so doing, they kept track of what each one owed the other. Okay, that's what they did, what you owe me. We don't say we do that, but we really do that when we do something for somebody. When we do something for somebody, what we're really looking for in return is what they can do for us. Maybe not that day, but in the long run, when they did something, we're looking for something in return. And if they don't acknowledge or they don't pick us or they don't choose us or somehow they overlook us, then they think, then why did I ever do that anyway? Listen to me. The Bible says in Colossians, you do everything for the glory of God. Then you don't have to worry about what you get in return. Somebody say amen. amen. That would release so many of us in here today. Don't patty cake. Give the Lord a hand clap. We could have real friends if we would stop thinking of what we did for them so we can decide what they need or must do for us. Somebody say amen. We can have real friends. The other thing we need to know about friends is we can't make them God. We try. Well, friends can ruin my life. Really? There's one that sticketh closer than a brother. He hadn't ruined your life. He's made your life. He's given you life. He took you out of hell and walked you into eternity on his own. Didn't even ask you. Even... Let me say this, Kristen, even before the womb. He knew you before the womb. How in the world can abortion ever be nothing more than murder when God knew you before you were formed? Good God help me. Let me get composure here. They kept up, these are these people, with what they did for each other so they could always have a relationship. Always kind of held on because what I did for you. Even though it was superficial and based on performance, it didn't matter because somebody needs to have a relationship even though it's meaningless, even though it's held on by a thread and that thread has nothing to do with any truth or value. It's based on performance. You know, we have hummingbirds around our house sometimes and right now, I don't know if my wife's putting, you put any, where's she at? You put any feeders out lately or they're still up on the sink? I can't believe this. They've been on the sink over a week. Those birds are dying out there. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the real truth. Hummingbirds are just like people. If we don't feed them, they don't show up. <laughs> Their friendship is conditional. Put your little feeder out there, and they don't care. We all think they like red. They don't care what color you put out there. You put that nectar out there. They're coming to it. Amen? Friendships are challenging, to say the least. Say amen. amen. To say the least. We are so fragile. Okay. I am so fragile. Maybe y'all aren't. Maybe y'all are like hands that have been out working every day for the last... Ten years just calloused up in your emotions and, and no matter what anybody does to you, you just, it doesn't bother me, I still love them anyway. No, the truth is you couldn't love them. It'd have to be the Jesus in you that loves them. It's impossible for you to love somebody. Can I say the word crap in here? That craps on you beyond recovery. 
challenging. A few areas that cause conflict in developing friendships are they're one-sided. You ever had a friendship that you really wanted to have, but the problem is you're the only one calling? Y'all know what I'm talking about? You really like this person. I mean, you're drawn to them. They're kind of, you know, helping you out, and, and really it's not as, has anything to do with what you're getting or getting. You just like that person, but the problem is if you ever talk to them, it's because you're making the call. It's one-sided. It's one-sided. No, they don't even call you when they need something. Why? Because they got other people closer than you, but you want to be closer. It hurts you a little bit, one-sided. That's what hurts. We don't know how when somebody's, see, the deal is you haven't figured out yet that that person don't think all that, never mind. <clears throat> Number two, it's performance-based. That's the other problem we have. We've already talked about it a little bit. Performance-based. That really, you know, when I was a drunk in the world, uh, I really liked people that when they came over, they brought alcohol. If they didn't, I thought they were just okay. <laughs> Amen. You know what I'm saying? And whatever you do, don't come over. And I had my little old bitty stash, and you're going to come over and say, you, ain't, you didn't bring nothing? You ain't getting there of mine. You say, you weren't a very good friend, were you? No, I wasn't. <laughs> giving out nothing. Uh, three, jealousy. Isn't that true? Jealousy. We're all so worried about what, who, who, I thought that was my friend. I saw him talking to somebody else up at the store. I thought that was my friend. You mean you can have more than one friend? Oh, but you don't think they can because they look like they're being closer to them than they were to you. And you don't know, they might have been telling them Telling this other person your business. That's what you start thinking, isn't it? Because you're codependent on having somebody that loves you more than somebody else, and that person is Jesus. Four, critical. It's so hard to have a friend because after a certain amount of time, we become so critical. You know, we just really do. We, it's kind of like getting married. Come on, somebody. At first, when you get married, there's nothing critical. Everything's great. But all of a sudden, when you start to realize that the person you married is not as perfect as you. <laughs> I don't I, Tread lightly. There's a snake down here. I mean, I'm just telling you, isn't it the truth? You first get married and everything. Man, could it mean I married the perfect person? And I can say some things right now about saying them, but I'm not. I'm going to keep it straight here right now. But you know, <laughs> I'm, trying to really, I'm trying to refrain myself right now. I have to do this. All right, I'm going to. But anyway, you start to notice some things that aren't quite what you thought. And you don't realize, but she starts to notice that too. But most women have more class than men. They just don't say anything. We say things. You mean you do what? What are you doing? I don't believe that. What? Who's been in this bathroom? You know what I'm saying? Look at everybody. Ain't nobody want to look at nobody, eh? <laughs> Y'all are so sweet and lying to each other. You've never said that to your spouse, have you? My God, I hear it every day. What are you talking about? What happened in here? <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't in there. <laughs> How are friendships formed? Number one, opposites attract, therefore different from others. It's not that there's so much 
Yeah, their personalities are different, but they're just really different from others. Two, they have like interests. Even though our personalities are different, friends usually develop because they have like interests, regardless whether one is, is an ex, uh, extrovert or introvert. doesn't matter. That has nothing to do with anything. Three, communication of some sort. There has to be, I used to have this friend in high school. I still see him sometimes on Facebook. We've talked on the phone usually. I tell him Merry Christmas every year. He's never called me, told me anything, but... Anyway, it's kind of those one, one of those one-sided things. But we used to ride around high school, and, and he always had a car. Maybe that's why I was with him a lot. I didn't always have a car. didn't have a car bought for me, but he always had his mama's car. And we rode around, and I did most of the talking. And every now and then, he'd say a word. He'd be like a Neanderthal guy. You know, I'd be like, okay. You know, I'd say something. And, I mean, this is like three hours into our, wherever we were going. Ugh. And I go, okay, dude's communicating now. I mean, but that's really the way he was. He had not much communication skills, but you have to have something. And that, oh, went a long way for me. I didn't need to hear anything out of him for the next three hours because I could, listen to this, I could interpret what uh meant. It went a long way. You have to understand, I knew all that kind of stuff. I had ESPN. Four, <laughs> pushed together because of lack of acceptance. Sometimes we have friends where we're not accepted by anybody else and we're pushed together in a group that we truly don't belong. And then those kind of groups usually end up in lots of trouble because there's no direction. Listen to me. If you're going to be in a group and you're going to be in a social surrounding where you think that that's where you have to be to fit in, you better be the one that leads this group if you're a Christian or they'll lead you. And we already know where they'll lead. Amen. The most difficult process for most of us is to find our niche and where we belong with the least hassle. That's really what we're looking for. We want somebody to accept us for what we are, like we are, and sometimes we'll go through hell just to have that happen. We will. We just don't want to be alone and isolated. When in reality, the alone and isolation really is worse than being in a group. The things you think when you get alone and isolated... Most of these arrangements are misguided because of lack of identity. If we're not raised knowing our identity isn't found in Christ, we will let the world tell us who we are and give us our value as well. So we can see how many friendships are so fragile. Why they're so fragile. They're just fragile. Friendships are fragile. I mean, one minute, one week, it's the best thing going. You've never had such a great time in your life talking to this person. I love it when I used to say my wife is my best friend, and I guess she is. Some you don't ever know the minute or the day. You know, been married 47 years. Some days she's my best friend, and other days I don't know her. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. There's one man I know, tread lightly. But I'm telling the truth. That's the way it feels sometimes. I'm just telling the truth today. You know, all you men are going, he's an idiot. You know he's going to get in trouble for that. Oh, I'm not. Well, honey, I. Maybe I am. We place too much pressure on others to do what only God is doing. It's what we do. Proverbs 17, 17 said, a friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. Do you know that if we didn't preach anything else, we can preach right there? Because there are some of us in here that have done the other so wrong, but a friend says they love at all times. A real friend, after you've done what to them? Talked about them? disowned them, cursed them, done everything you can do to them, the friend says, okay, I love you anyway. Now, you know that has to be the agape love of Christ because I can't do that and you can't do that. 
But a friend does do that. And look at this, and a brother is born for adversity. How many of y'all know that to have a brother, to me, I see this as Christianity, a brother means a sister or a brother, born again in the faith, they're born for the adversity you're going to because you can go to them for counsel. That's what a brother's born for, born again. He's born for adversity. He's there to help you along. He's there to get you through this. This is a difficult adversity. And you already know what the world's counsel is. You need to hear the counsel of God. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. Isn't it the truth? Quit going to places that you know what you're going to hear is not God. It's not going to get you along. Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the, word, are the wounds of a friend. <laughs> Not an amen in the house. This really divides friends. You know why? Because a true friend will tell you the truth. And I'll promise you, you're not going to like it. When's the last time a real friend told you something about you that you thought, who gave them the audacity? Have they looked? at themselves. <laughs> Boy, I see some people's face. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe one of them told you you really don't look that good in that outfit. They didn't tell you in front of a bunch of people. They just told you they, under, they were trying to tell you, you know, you probably ought to conceal some of that stuff. You didn't like that. Or they told you Maybe you ought to try to get here a little earlier. Come on, somebody. You listening to me? I don't know why you missed the praise and worship. You'd really love it if you'd come. See, a true friend will tell you. You really think you need to eat that? You know, they said on that last doctor's report, you weren't doing so well. Maybe you need to leave that triple, what do they call that thing over at Chili's? It's a triple mountain volcanic chocolate something. <laughs> You say, how do you know? Because I just ate a small one. Well, I had help, a couple of spoons. You understand what I'm saying? See, <laughs> faithful are the wounds of a friend. I mean, he's faithful not to you, but to God to be able to help you if you listen. But instead, you know what we do with those people, John? We get away from them. They were our friend until they told me they didn't like my dude. Come on, somebody. They told me they didn't like that outfit. They told me they didn't like the way I was talking. They didn't, I mean, they, they, and if it's from God, you have to learn to accept those kind of things. But the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. We already know that. Why? What did Judas do to Jesus? When David was king and his son took over the kingdom and David chose to leave instead of ordering his son killed, his true friends mattered. Absalom was his son. He was having a real identity problem, so he wanted... He decided to be the king. So he goes and he overtakes the kingdom. David allows him to instead of killing him. His counselor, David's counselor, Ahithophel, turned on David. These are, these are guys that went to the house of the Lord together. Ahithophel was his great friend. I mean, they, he counseled David. They prayed together. They loved God together. Proverbs 18, 24 says, There are friends who pretend to be friends, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There really are, and I know this. we can bend everything to Jesus here, but I'm telling you, I really think there are true friends 
that we can make in our life that do not have to be also superficial. I'm so tired of superficial friendship. I mean, you know, you, you, you got to be careful. You know, I, I'm out the house, and I dress a little different, obviously, than I do here. You know, I mean, I went swimming last night. What a great time to swim at night. It ain't no good during the day. Come on, somebody. My, my son, you know what he calls our pool? It's a big, he calls it, no, I ain't going to say what he calls it. I'm not going to say it. It sounds too bad, but anyway. A friend says, 2 Samuel 15, 31. Now David has been told Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So David prayed, O Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. You know what happens to Ahithophel? He counsels Absalom to do the right thing because David and all of his entourage left the kingdom. David prays to God, confuses counsel. Ahithophel's counsel was the right counsel, but he confused Absalom not to believe it. Ahithophel knew if he, if he didn't follow, if Absalom didn't follow David, uh, uh, Absalom's counsel, that Ahithophel would be dead. So he goes up to his own house and hangs himself. Tough way to pray, but the, the prayer was answered. 2 Samuel 16, 5, as David approached Baharim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gerar, and he cursed as he came out. See, what happened was when David took over the kingdom, he didn't kill everybody that was kin to Saul. He wanted to be a friend to Saul. And the reason why he wanted to be a friend to Saul, that was the first king of Israel, is because he was a great friend of Jonathan. And I could have gone there today and talked about how great their friendship was, but I didn't. I'm going somewhere else. And of course, Judas has sold Jesus out. Matthew 18, 19, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a man, gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinner. But wisdom is justified by our children. Listen to me. This is called book of wisdom. This is called the, 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 the wisdom, summer of wisdom. As the world always sees Jesus in a different light of untruth, we need to be able to see that he hung around with sinners not for the purpose that they called him out to. He hung around with sinners to show them salvation. That was it. That's not what they said. But wisdom is justified by our children. Guilt by association was not accurate here. Yes, he is a friend to sinners, but not the way they thought. He's a friend to sinners, which is everybody that's not born again in here. Because if you're born again, you're not a sinner. You already know what you are. You're a saint and a son that sometimes sins. And if anybody tells you different, you truly don't understand the Word of God. Amen. Everybody goes, I'm just a sorry sinner. Okay, hadn't you been born again? I've been born again 39 years. I am not the old sorry sinner I once was. It doesn't mean I don't make a mistake. But bless God, don't put me in the realm that Adam's still alive. Because Adam is dead. For you that still struggle with that, I feel sorry for you. John 15, 13 through 16 says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. What the great friend. We know who we're talking about. Jesus is talking about himself. You got that kind of friend? That right now something were to happen and somebody would say, I'm to kill him. And they'd go, no, no, kill me instead. Anybody do that in here? You might do it for your child. I believe that. I believe most of you men... Most of you women would stand up for your child and say, no, take me. I've lived long enough. Take, t 
take me instead. I know you would, so would I. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now here it is. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now Jesus is talking to a lot of people here and he's trying to tell them this is, this is how you can prove you're my friend. You know how we can prove where we're friends to each other? Do what we say we're going to do. Be what we say we're going to be. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know the master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. If you think Abram was a friend to God, you're much more of a friend to God than him. He's made known everything to you by the resurrection power of Christ, the Holy Ghost that lives in you. You have the spiritual DNA, as I told you last week, to know everything you're supposed to know that pertains to the knowledge and wisdom of God for your life on earth today. Somebody say amen. Amen. Tapped into not very much. Friends, so difficult to find, not because of them, stay with me, but because of us. The Bible says if you don't have friends, do what? Show yourself. That's what it says. You want to be a friend? You want to have friends? Show yourself friendly. What does that mean? Do what you say you're going to do. Apparently, that's a very hard thing to do. We truly want friends, but most of us have so much junk in us and that happens to us, we can't trust others, and others can't trust us. That's friendship. We want friends, and if we hadn't figured out why we can't have friends, the reason why we can't have friends is because there's so much stuff in us that we look at them and see what's in them that's in us, and how in the world could that happen? It's not that we can't trust them. We can't trust. I believe the kind of friendship we really want must believe everything. Here's what we want everybody to do. If, we, if they're going to be our friend. Marcus, if you're going to be my friend, this is what I want. If you don't give it to me, I'm going to go eat worms. <laughs> Believe everything we tell them. Isn't that right? This is my friend. How are you going to be my friend? I'm gonna, you believe everything I tell you. He better not even do that now. <laughs> even a lie. And you know it's a lie. You go, uh-huh, got you. I want you to tell me all your secrets. But I'm going to withhold all of mine. That's the kind of friend I want because that's the kind of friends we want. You didn't tell me everything? No, the reason why I didn't because you didn't tell me everything. Come on, somebody. I'm just telling you the truth. This is what's wrong with friendship today. We can't trust that if I told you everything, I don't know if it would stay there locked up in the vault. I think if you got mad at me, you might use it against me. I'm just talking friendship today. I'm talking about how we really think. It's not the way the church is supposed to be, but that's the way the church operates. Demand confidentiality. Well, we are untrustworthy. Never hurt my feelings. Not going to hurt yours. Don't worry about it. But don't you hurt mine. Even with the truth, don't you hurt my feelings. You just go ahead and let me run off the cliff. And then when I do, you know what I'm going to say? Why didn't you tell me? Come on, somebody. Isn't that what we do? Listen, you're going to try to tell anybody that they're fixing to come into a train wreck. You know what they're going to tell you? I know how to avoid that. Then how come the train wreck happened? Well, you didn't emphasize it enough that it was going to be this 
horrible. Never hurt my feelings even with the truth. Be loyal to us over any and all. That's what we want. Look at me. That's not what we give. Some of us have given up on trying and we just become loners. We do. Friendship's hard. Friendship is hard. I mean, it's, I don't know of anything harder in the world. I, you know why? Because my first friend is Jesus. Can I tell you something? I know it's not supposed to be hard, and I know I, I can give you all the mentoring things you want to hear because I think mentoring's important, but I'm telling you, friendship, even with Jesus, sometimes is a challenge. Not that I don't believe him, but it's walking in that that I believe. I believe it, but I can say it, and then walking it out seems to be a challenge. Am I the only one? Everybody goes, oh, you quit trying. That's my favorite thing. I don't try, I trust. Then how come it's such a challenge? Because sometimes I may be saying I'm trusting, but I must be trying. <laughs> I want to look at a special friendship today that we all long for but often do not experience. In the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth. Y'all ever read the book of Ruth? If you hadn't read that, you go home today. It's four chapters. Don't read Jeremiah. Oh, my gosh, help me, Jesus. I just lamented because I just read Lamentations this morning. I just lamented over reading Jeremiah. <laughs> That's not true. In the book of Ruth, there's a friendship that surpasses circumstances, race, financial conditions, and location. Amen. Naomi was a Jew married to Elimelech. Now, I really like that name. Don't y'all? It has a little rhyme to it, Elimelech. 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 Go ahead, rename one of your kids. <laughs> a famine manifested in the land, so they went into Moab. They were in, they were in Israel. There was a famine. They went to Moab. But just to be honest, returning to Egypt, which would be a, an idea and thought like Moab, for any reason is not good. Are you listening to me? I don't care what God allows to happen to you or what is happened to you. Would you please help me? Don't go back to Egypt. Amen. There's something not going to happen that you're, you're not going to like it. It, it. It's a promise it's going to happen in Egypt because that's what drove you out, something that happened. Stay out of Egypt. It's a bad place. It stands for the world. And if you go back there, the world hasn't changed. It's still out to steal, kill, and destroy. Right. Naomi and her husband had two sons and grew up married, and they married two Moabite women. Her husband and two sons die. After about 10 years, she was left with nothing. So Naomi, Naomi decided to return to her homeland of Israel. Okay, so she's 10 years there. She decides to go back because she's lost everything. Elimelech, her two sons were Chilion and Mahalam. These were two guys that obviously needed name, name changes. Chilion never knew that his, his name would become one of the names everybody talks about. What are you doing? I'm just Chilion. Nobody ever knew that would happen. Chilion right now is going, man, that's cool. My name goes on forever. What are you doing? I'm we need to change it not to Chilion. Chilion. Because I'm Chilion. Never mind. It didn't go real well. Her two daughter-in-laws, listen to this. One of them's name was Orpah. If I had a name like that, I'd change it. Don't name your daughter Orpah. Come here, Orpah. It sounds like Orca. And she's going to be kidded for the rest of her life. 
Can you imagine at school? Come here, ooh, ooh, orca. No, serious. It'd be a horrible scene. And the other one, you already know, was named. Come on, somebody. I can't hear you. If you don't know this, that's a book I just told you to read. Her name is? She's powerful. She's a woman. So, great woman. So what happens? Naomi, which is married to Elimelech, and the two sons died that were married to Orpah. <laughs> and what's her name? Ruth. Okay? Well, Naomi says, I got to go back to Israel. Things are not going good here. I went to Egypt and lost it all. I'm, are you listening? I'm trying to help some of y'all that want to go back to Egypt. You're going to lose it all. So she loses it all, comes back to Israel. As she's leaving, her two daughter-in-law say, what are we going to do? We're going to go with you. It was really easy. These were her daughter-in-laws, but she calls them daughter. She's so close to them. One of them has a great relationship with her. Orpah does not have that great a relationship. She's cast off pretty quick. Naomi says, I have nothing here. I have no sons. Are you going to wait for me to get married again? I'm too old to bear children. Are you going to wait for my kids to grow up and then marry you? It's impossible. Go back with your own people. Go back and be a Moabite. Orpah takes the bait. But it says that Ruth hung. I like that. Je- no, I'm sorry. Ruth clung. Jesus hung. See, Jesus hung so you could have a relationship with him. But Ruth clung to Naomi. She clung to him, she, uh, to her. She wouldn't let go. And, and, and Naomi's going, would you get out of here? I can't help you. I mean, it's, but there was such a devoted friendship. This, I'll tell you why I know it's a friendship. Because Naomi could give her nothing. You know what she tells her? She tells her this. You know, no matter what you do, I'm not going anywhere. I will serve your God. I will eat what you eat, lay where you lay, die where you die, be what you be, but I'm going to be with you no matter what. She has nothing to offer her. She's totally bankrupt. This is friendship at its best. When you lose it all and have nothing to buy somebody, when you lose it all and you're not the most popular person, when you're in the middle of adversity and people still say, I care, you better wake up. Those are friends. Those are real friends that are fighting for you. Think about it. It was Naomi's fault to leave. I think she encouraged Elimelech to go. We're having a famine. The problem with us us in Christianity is when God puts us in a famine, many of us leave him and say that he's done us wrong. And in reality, we're leaving the promised land because if we'll hold on, if we'll hold on, he'll come through. Don't you go back to Egypt and go, surely they've got something to offer. Surely they've got a pain med. <laughs> Don't help me, Jesus. Surely they can make me feel better in my pain. Yeah, they can, but it's going to cost you something. That's right. I love it. The two daughter-in-laws. One, to me is not a very good friend. She was easily displaced. Orpah, you need to go home back to Moab. Okay. Now, she didn't actually do that. But, I mean, it was that easy to me. And I'm telling you, no matter what she said to Ruth, come on, somebody. 
When some of you in here have a friend that you're trying to help and when they're in such pain and agony and they've caused it on themselves, when they tell you to kiss off, you need to go, no, I'm going to kiss you because I love you. You need to tell them, I'm here for you. I don't care what you're going through. I'm here. We give up too easy. Some of us need to become a Ruth in here. You give up too easy on your friend. If you're the friend you say you were, is it conditional? Naomi had nothing, no sons to give. These were young women in childbearing age. They could have gone to Moabites. They could have gone back to Moab and got what they needed. Instead, one of them said, apparently Naomi has something. Come on, somebody, stay with me. Naomi has such an anointing that there's somebody that sees that anointing and says, I don't know what we got in Moab, but it doesn't match what you're carrying. That's why I think Ruth saw this. What a great name. My mama's name was Tommy Ruth. She didn't even know why she was named Ruth. I wish that I don't even remember telling her. I think I'm sure I did tell her when I got born again that Ruth is in the Bible. Don't you understand that? Your name is Ruth. Ruth was a powerful woman. She stood when nobody else would stand. You know what she said? I'll do anything you tell me to do, Naomi. You tell me to do it. Long story short, here's what happens. They go back to the promised land, Israel, around Bethlehem. Back in that day when somebody died, if there was a kinsman redeemer, somebody close in relationship, then they would take over that account, but they would have to pay for it. Naomi sends Ruth out into the fields. They come back, sends them out into the fields, and Ruth just happens on, is led by, and doesn't even know it, because Naomi tells her, go out and find out what's going to happen. We need something to eat. I'm just putting it in my language that you can read it. She goes out and just happens to end up in Boaz's field. Lewis Anderson likes that. He likes that name. He gets to say it a lot, don't you, Lou? Boaz. Ends up in Boaz's field. And it just so happens that she starts gleaning in the corners and Boaz notices her. She must be a looker. But I think even more importantly, she had an anointing that she had already received from Naomi, that she had already said, I'll serve your God. He'll be my God like he's your God. And I think she had already taken on that in a spiritual sense. And that Moabite, no good for nothing Egyptian spirit. It wasn't Egypt. I'm not saying that. But it's that kind of spirit had already left her. That's how I know she was already in the promised land, not just in physicality, but in spirituality as well. Amen. She's out gleaning. Boaz notices and eventually says, who is that woman? Who's that young woman? Man, she's... Wow, what is she doing in Israel? I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to leave a little extra for her out. Now, I'm leaving out some stuff because I've got to get somewhere. I'm leaving. I'm going to leave some extra stuff out. And I want you to make sure she gets it. And you tell every one of those men in my field and anybody around there. See, because back then, it's no different than it is today. You could get raped that quick. 
If you don't read, if you don't know that, read the Bible. You'll see a lot of sordid stories. He told every one of those men, you know what he said? He tell them, man, one of them better not touch her. They're going to be in trouble if they touch her. Now, he was an older man. He wasn't a young man. He's an older man. Maybe somebody about like me. He was an older man. So that goes on for a while. And Naomi is the one leading her, telling her what to do. What did she say before she left Egypt? Here's what you have to know. When you get born again and you begin to leave Egypt, you tell Jesus you're my God. I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll stop where you tell me to stop. I'll do what you tell me to do. I will be faithful to you. That is a type and a shadow of being loyal to Christ. That's what she did. It's not just a story. It's the truth. When you finally get born again, you walk away from that for the rest of your earthly life. Friendship's hard. Friendship's hard. I love the way she developed this friendship. Naomi tells her, go out in the field. Do you not know that she knows that there's men out there? Do you think that she doesn't know that men are about half crazy? Do you not know that she knows that out in the middle of that field there's no protection? Do you not know, but she said what to Naomi before she left Moab? I'm going to do what you want me to do. Just tell me to do it. That's what she said. I want you to go out in that field and get us something to eat. We're hungry. She didn't, she didn't say, no, wait a minute. Is there a lot of men out there? She didn't say that. Okay, got my knapsack. I'm gone. I'm out there. She didn't think anything about it. Why? Because I really believe this. There was an anointing upon her life that I don't think anybody could touch her because of her loyalty to Naomi. But it was really her loyalty to God. She goes out in the field. Doesn't think twice about any man. Any man. Boaz sees her. She's a knockout. He goes, wow, what is this? A few days later, Naomi has another assignment for her. You know what it is? In the evening there, old Boaz, he goes to sleep. They kind of drink a little bit. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go in after he's fallen asleep from drinking too much. And I want you to uncover his feet, and I want you to lay down. Now, let me tell you the real truth about this. She uncovered his feet because his feet would get cold at night, and when she uncovered them, he would eventually wake up and notice there was somebody not laying beside him but at his feet. And it was important because when he woke up, he said, Who is this at my feet? Who is this down here like this? And she goes, It's Naomi. It's Ruth, your servant. I mean, it's Ruth, but you treat me better than you do your servants. But see, because she's following Naomi's orders, Ruth is now fixing to walk into a blessing that only comes from being loyal. It only comes from being trustworthy. It only comes from being obedient to what you said you would do. Many of us say we'll do, but we don't. I've had people tell me, tell me what you want me to do. I do, and they go, I don't want to do that. But you just told me, you do, tell me what you want me to do. Let me just be honest. I've needed a bus washer and a van washer because I wash them. And I got people telling me, I need to, I want to wash them. Tell me something to do. I say, well, I need my, my buses washed. Okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. You know how long that's been going on? However long I've had those buses? That's how you do. 
Yeah, people say you're going to do something, they won't do it. Why? It's hot out there. You kidding me? You got to climb up on that bus. You think I don't know it? I'm 68 years old and I'm up there doing that bus and I'm going, whoa. <laughs> you got to be careful. You'll follow that brush right off. You don't mean to. When you're young, you didn't. I could do cartwheels up there. But something happens when you get a little older. I don't know what that is. Following. Following, doing what she's told to do. She stumbles on what? She stumbles on a blessing not just for her, but because she's obedient, Naomi's going to be blessed too. So you know what Boaz tells her? I don't know what you're doing up and down here, but I'll tell you what I think. I am next kin to yours, because she told him that too. But I'm next, I, but there's somebody in between me and, and you and Naomi is your kinsman redeemer. So well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, tomorrow I'm going to go to the gate and talk to the elders. And I'm going to bring that other man up and see if he'll redeem you. If he does, fine. If he does, fine. I don't think he really meant that. If he does, fine. You know what he tells her too? He says, Ruth, what are you doing hanging around here when all these other young men are around? I'm telling you, Ruth noticed something. Long story short, you know what Ruth does? He ends up, the other guy doesn't redeem him because it costs money in his name. But Boaz redeems him. Buys the field, buys them all, takes care of them. They have a child, his name is Obed, who has a child who has a son called Jesse, who has another son called David. Amen. So a, a, a Gentile is in the bloodline of our Savior. Isn't that crazy? And this all happened because of friendship. You never know what friendship could do if we would learn how to operate in the Spirit. Yes. Quit trying to make people perfect. You're not. When they fall, help them up. Even if they want to slap you back, say, no, it's, that's okay, man. I'm going to help you anyway. I'm going to help you anyway. You need some help. Listen, have you ever thought about this? The people that you've unfriended are the ones that needed your friendship the most. The people that you've cast away are the ones who just needed to help up to know that somebody cares. Listen to me. I, th those that isolate are the ones that need to know somebody cares. Can you imagine, no matter what you say, I really believe that Orpah had a difficult time back in Moab. Why? Well, she married a Jew. That's already a difficult thing. Now she goes back into being a Moabite, and what happens now? I can't marry you. You were married to a Jew. Who wants to marry you? And the other one says, she's already taken on being a believer. That's why I really think Boaz took her. That's why I think he took her. He bought her. He married her. They had the son. Things happen just because of friendship. Have you ever thought the reason why things aren't happening in your life because you're really not a good friend? You don't know how to be a good friend? Somebody tells you the truth, you get mad, you get offended. You don't want to hear the truth because... People that don't want to hear the truth are always doing what? Blaming everybody else. You are. You hear the same truth hurts? It does. That's why we turn away from it. I'm not telling you you have the right to go out and tell everybody what's wrong with them. Because that could happen here. <laughs> but the truth is, if you're a friend to somebody, if you tell them in love and concern and care, don't you know they'd listen? 
And if they didn't, they'd go home and mull it around and kick it around and be mad for a while. But if they're believers, they're going to come around and go, golly gee, they got my best interest. Have you ever thought when you tell somebody the truth, the person you're telling it to has never thought most of the time, look at me, how hard it is for that person to tell you what they're telling you. I mean, just sit there and tell somebody something that you know is going to be, and they're going to think I'm perfect. They're going to think I'm thinking this. They're going to think, and I already told you this before, quit trying to tell everybody what they're thinking. You can't do that. I don't even know what I'm thinking, so you can't tell me what I'm thinking. But as we're talking to people, as friendship, we have to learn to tell them without a doubt, and if you've proven that through your relationship and love, they'll be receptive. And yeah, they'll have to mull over it for two or three days. And you know what? Instead of you waiting for the call, you may have to call them back. Say, hey, man, I just want to call. See how you're doing. Just want to let you know I love you. And if they go, yeah, 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 yeah. Just want you know I'm praying for you. I'll be here. That will go so far that it'll make something that matters. And you'll have a friend. We got to learn how to be good friends. We got to be the Ruth kind of friend. Your God's my God. Where you go, I'll go. What you do, I'll do. Where you die, I'll die. Where you be buried, I'll be buried. The truth is, she was saying, whatever your lifestyle is, I am so connected with you, that's what's going to happen to me. And as a result, she got blessed. See, we're all in the same faith. We all love Jesus. We all believe in the Bible that it's true. Amen? Every bit of it's true. I know sometimes you need a friend, don't you? Y'all ever need a friend? Am I the only one in here never need a friend? If you ever needed a friend, raise your hand. I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to play a song for you right now, so don't get religious on me. But where it's talking in here, I want you to put Jesus in every place. Because it's, it's not a Christian song, but I want you to listen to when it. When you're down and troubled And you need a helping hand And nothing, oh, nothing's going right Close your eyes and think of me And soon I will be there To brighten up even your darkest night You just call up my name And you know where running oh yeah babe to see you again winter, spring, summer or fall all you got to do is call and I'll be there yeah 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 you've got a If the sky above you 
Should turn dark and full of clouds And that old north wind Should begin to blow Keep your head together And call my name out loud now Soon I'll be knocking Upon your door You just call up my name And you know wherever I am I'll come running Oh yes I will see you again Winter, spring, summer good to know he's there, isn't it? And people don't mean to be so cruel and hateful. They really don't. We know the rule. Hurt people hurt people. Wounded people wound people. But in reality, you've got a friend. And it's Jesus. Father, we thank you for today. We pray that 